This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. A guest speaker is featured on this message. More information is on our website. Here's a statement of Rick's love to come serve me as I'm taking a month off and more importantly serve you uh, this morning. Rick lives in Minneapolis area, Minneapolis, Minnesota. So yesterday as he's driving to the airport, I call him and I say, what's the temperature? It is 71 degrees. At which point I inform him that it will be 103. So I wanted to prepare him that from getting on the plane to getting off the plane, there will be a 32 degree differential. And so he is here to serve us in August. And I want to say that if he invited me to his church in Minneapolis in February when it was 8 degrees, I would not go. So that is his level of love to be here today. Thank you, Rick. A couple things I want to tell you about Rick. Um, Rick, I so appreciate uh, something about one of your gifts and then something about who you are, but I so appreciate your teaching gift, which is one of the reasons I've invited you here today. You have the ability to take complex theological topics and take them off the top shelf and put them on a low shelf where we can all reach them, reach it and access it. And you do so with passion and clarity. So to be able to teach complex theological topics and to do so with um, clarity and accessibility and uh, a winsome attitude uh, and a passionate uh, presentation is a really a rare gift. They're passionate guys and they're theological guys, it's rare that the two combined, and and you are both. So I love your gift, and uh, so excited to have you preach uh, on adoption. I'm going to tell how I heard about this message, and you're going to hate me for doing this. Um, But in the spring, uh, this spring, I don't know when it was, but I'm looking at my Twitter feed, and uh, I uh, I follow John Piper on Twitter, and so John Piper had visited Rick's church and was there on a Sunday morning while Rick was preaching, and John Piper tweeted, This, I just heard the best sermon I've ever heard in my life on the subject of adoption. So when Rick was going to come, I didn't have to think twice about what asking to preach on. If it's good enough for John, it's good enough for us. And you may say, I've never heard a message on adoption. Well, John Piper has, and he thought it was the best. So if I was you, I would hate me right now because everyone's expectation is I'm about to hear one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. And so anything less than Super Bowl victory will disappoint this morning. Um... But it's not that you preach John Piper, the best sermon he heard, or whatever. Uh, that's not what I most appreciate. What I most appreciate about you, Rick, is um, your humility. Because whenever I'm engaging with you, you're asking questions. And to, to have a conversation with Rick is to have him ask questions. And he knows more than you do. He knows more than I do. But he asks questions. So you are a genuine, sincere learner, Rick. And while you're a gifted teacher, what stands out to me is your heart to be a learner. And that's far more impressive than being a gifted teacher, is being a humble man who desires to learn. That's what I most appreciate about you. It's not your sermons, it's your life. And uh, I thank you for your friendship. Uh, I always enjoy being with you. I'm so thankful you would be away from your family this weekend to come and serve us uh, at this time. So would you come and preach God's word to us? And so grateful. Can we welcome Rick? Welcome. Thanks so much, Craig, for that. I am, um, I am honored to be here. And I say that knowing that all guest speakers say I'm honored to be here. But 
I want you to know I am keenly aware of my sense of honor right now to be here with you all. You're, you are a church because of my friendship with Craig that I have uh, admired from a distance for a long time. So to be here and worship with you all is such an honor, such a privilege. It's what I love about our family of churches. I can come from Minneapolis and come here to Dallas and we, we, I feel at home because we're all at home at the foot of the cross in common mission, serving together, so we experience biblical fellowship, and it is sweet. So I'm, I'm honored to be here at this church, and um, I'm honored uh, to be in this pulpit because I'm a preacher, and so I know that I don't extend invitations to other people to step into my pulpit lightly, so I am honored that Craig would do that. And I'm honored because of whose pulpit it is. Um, I am standing now where one of my favorite preachers stands Sunday after Sunday and preaches. So thank you, Craig. Uh, your, your gift has been a blessing to me, and Craig has been my, my teacher, my mentor in many, many ways. I, ask, I, I came here to serve you and to serve Craig, but there was a, there was a selfish motive because I just wanted to have time with my friend Craig and learn and glean from him and we got to talk shop yesterday and I got to learn some stuff and so I'm a happy camper and I am eager to look into the word with you this morning. So will you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1 but we're going to be concentrating on verse 5 this morning. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Let's pray. Well, Father, here now with our, our Bibles open before us, we, we want to be humble. We want to tremble at Your Word. And this Word makes us tremble. We tremble with awe. We tremble with excitement. What a truth. We are your adopted children. I pray that that truth would land fresh on all of us this morning. Your word is power. And I pray that your word would go out now in power and accomplish all that you've ordained for it to accomplish. Have your way with us. Now, let the truth of your word enter our minds and drop down to our hearts and let it work itself out in the way we live change us, transform us now by your truth. We don't want to leave, we don't want to walk out the doors this morning the same people that we entered. We want to walk out different because we've seen Jesus. So I pray that you would cause the word, Jesus Christ, to stand forth now from your written word. Give us eyes to see his glory and then give us grace to become like what we behold. We ask this for our good and for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, I read both verses 4 and 5 this morning, even though 5 will be our focus, because I want to highlight the fact that in these two verses, it's as if we're climbing up the mountain of God's purpose in election. In verse 4, we see that God chose us in Christ before He ever made the world. He chose us. He made us His own in eternity past. He set His love on us before He even created us. That's what I mean when I use the term election. I just mean Ephesians 1.4. And God did that. He chose us for a purpose. Our text says He chose us in Christ in order that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In other words, the purpose of God in Christ for the people He has chosen, which is every Christian in this room, God's purpose for the people He has chosen is to undo the effects of sin. He intends for His people to be pure. And in fact, if you have banked your hope on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life, that's your position before God right now. You are holy and blameless before Him. And the reason you have that standing before God right now is because of Jesus. Jesus purchased our holiness and our blamelessness. We are chosen in Christ, our text says. In Colossians 1.22, familiar text I'm sure for most of you, the Apostle Paul says it this way, And you, Christ has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. In other words, Christ purchased our holiness, our blamelessness on the cross. Jesus is the Lamb without blemish or spot. 1 Peter 1.19 And He was killed for the blemish and spot of our sin, so that we now receive the unblemished, spotless nature of Christ. So that the unworthy are now declared worthy. The unholy are now declared holy. Another way to say this is we have been justified. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, God, who is our righteous judge, declared us to be righteous before Him, and He transferred that perfect sinless record of Jesus to our account. So the judge of the universe not only forgives our sins, He not only wipes all our sins away, He also gives us the righteousness of His Son. May we never get so used to that good news that it has no effect on us. It is amazing. The doctrine of justification is glorious. And it's worthy of a sermon by itself. But I'm flying now through the precious doctrine of justification because I think the Lord would have us focus on verse 5. Because just when you think it cannot get any better than verse 4. I mean, what can possibly be better than being declared righteous before the judge of the universe who hates sin with omnipotent passion. What can be better than that? Just when you think it can't get any better 
the Apostle Paul says to us, let's climb the mountain of God's purpose and election a little further and see what we can see. And what we see is verse 5. And what a view it is. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So not only do we stand before God holy and blameless, we stand before Him as His adopted sons and daughters. When we first put faith in Jesus and were justified, we stood before the holy judge of the universe and we heard Him declare His verdict. The judge said, not guilty. And not only not guilty, but I now declare you to be righteous. Here, the judge said, put on this robe. This is the robe of the righteousness of my son, Jesus. And it's fireproof. And so you will never be consumed by my hot anger against sin. That's what we heard when we were justified. But, when we were adopted, God the judge put down his gavel. And God the judge stood up. And God the judge stepped away from his bench. And God the judge took off his judicial garb and he came to us. And he took us in his arms and he said, My child, from now on, call me Father. And he rejoiced over us with gladness and exalted over us with loud singing. That's Zephaniah 3.17. As a matter of fact, let's read Zephaniah 3.17 because we don't want to pass over this too quickly. This is an amazing picture of our affectionate Heavenly Father. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. And He will exult over you with loud singing. And so this morning, we're going to linger over this word adoption. And my prayer is that by the time we're done, we'll appreciate the meaning of this word even more. And we'll leave here rejoicing for what this word means to us. That we will actually hear the Father singing loud songs of joy over us. So, let's let J.I. Packer up the stakes for us this morning. J.I. Packer considers our grasp of the word adoption as essentially important for our Christian life. Listen to what he says. This is in his classic must-read, Knowing God. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood 
of God. Father is the Christian name for God. And so I want to make much this morning of the thought of being God's adopted child and having God Almighty as our Father. That's all I intend to do today. That's my whole agenda. Now, J.I. Packer goes on to say this. I don't typically have longer quotes like this, but sometimes it's just foolish not to read longer quotes like this. Here's what he says. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher even than justification. Wow. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Packer goes on. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. This free gift of acquittal and peace and justification one for us at the cost of Calvary, is wonderful enough in all conscience, but justification does not itself imply any intimate or deep relationship with God the judge. In idea, at any rate, you could have the reality of justification without any close fellowship with God resulting. In other words, the judge could just stay behind the bench, like the image we evoked earlier. But contrast this now with adoption, Packer says. Adoption is a family idea, conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into His family and fellowship and establishes us as His children and heirs. Closeness, affection, generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater thing. I think J.I. Packer is right. He's not alone in making such grandiose statements about this doctrine of adoption. Martin Lloyd-Jones, probably the greatest preacher of the 20th century, one of my heroes, said this, Our adoption is the highest expression even of God's love. That's quite a statement, isn't it? And if it's true, then we need to linger here for a while, don't we? And it is true, I think. Not because J.I. Packer said it. Not because Martin Lloyd-Jones said it. But because the Bible says it. Listen to 1 John 3, verse 1. Apostle John writes this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. I mean, those words are shot through with excitement. They're shot through with wonder and awe and urgency that we readers would get this. Look, see, behold, John says, you will never believe what I have to tell you. Oh, what kind of love the Father has for us. Or more literally, you could translate that, Oh, what size of love the Father has for us. Be astonished, John says. The Father's love for you is of such a size that it makes you a rebellious, sinful God-hater, His precious child. It's almost unthinkable that God would make us His children. But He does. And He does it because He loves us. In love, He predestined us for adoption. Now, I want us to think for a moment about the parable of the prodigal son. 
And the reason I want to go to that parable is because it has less to do with the prodigal son than it does with the love of the prodigal son's father. And so we get an amazing glimpse of God's fatherly love in this parable. Now, do you you remember what the prodigal son was thinking when he came to his senses and he decided to go home to his father? I mean, this son had heaped scorn on his father. He took his inheritance, ran away into sin, squandered and destroyed all that the father had given him. And not only had he been reduced at this point to feeding pigs, which is an unclean animal for the Jews, but he was eating with them. And so, boom, the light goes on. And he says to himself, this is Luke 15, 18 through 19, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The author, Pastor Sinclair Ferguson, refers to this as the prodigal's suspicion. Son was guilt-ridden. And he was so burdened by his guilt. It was so heavy on his shoulders that he could not look outward and he could not look upward. And all he could see hunched over under the burden of his guilt were all his sins and all his failures. And because he could not look upward and outward, he could not see his father. And because he could not see his father, he was filled with suspicion that his father could no longer love him. He was filled with suspicion that because of his sin, his father would no longer call him son, but instead demote him to the rank of mere servant. And I mention this because some of you might share the prodigal's suspicion this morning. Maybe someone is here today and you're hunched under the burden of guilt for your sin. You came in here this morning and all your concentration, all your focus has been on your sin and your failure. That sin you committed on the way to church. How could it happen again on the way to church this morning? And so it seems impossible to you that God could ever love you. And that God would ever sing loud songs of joy over you. That God would ever call you my child. So you're just going to be content to be a slave. But listen, it is not impossible. It is not impossible. To you, the Apostle John says, See, look, behold what size of love the Father has given to you that you should be called a child of God and so you are. How big is the love of God? Of what size is it? It is so big that it feels compassion for sinful sons and daughters. It's a love of such a size that it runs to us and embraces us and kisses us. It's a love that gives us the best robe and puts a ring on our hand and shoes on our feet. It's a love so huge that it kills the fattened calf and celebrates over us. That's the love the Father has for His adopted sons and daughters. Look up and look away from your sin and see the prodigal's father this morning. Listen, when God adopted you 
as his own child, he changed your rank and status forever. And he changed your status not based on anything you had done. He did it according to his gracious choice alone. Ephesians 1.5 again. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Our adoption, therefore, is irreversible because God's will is irreversible. And our adoption is based on His sovereign choice, not on our performance. He is our Father, and we are His children, and that is true forever. Let that fill you with hope and assurance this morning. God intends for us to not just know intellectually that He loves us. God intends for us, I believe, to feel His affection for us. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. It is because God is my Father and I am His child that I know that the very hairs of my head are all numbered. That nothing can happen to me apart from God. I know that neither hell nor any other power shall separate me from the love of Christ. I am His Son and He will never forsake me. He cannot do so. I have a guarantee that though everything is opposed to me in this world, I shall go steadfastly on. He will lead me on because I am His child, His Son. We were once sons and daughters of disobedience, according to Ephesians 2.2. Which means that we were children of wrath, like Ephesians 2.3 says. Our father was the devil, John 8.44. But now, We have been made members of the household of God. Ephesians 2.19 We are members of God's household. That means that all the old family ties are broken. All the old relationships, all the old allegiances, all the old obligations, all the old debts are canceled. Now, How is it that all the old family ties are broken? How can it be that we're no longer sons and daughters of disobedience, obeying the will of our father, the devil, so that we're children of God's wrath? How is it that all our old family obligations and debts are canceled? How can it be that the father runs to sinful sons and daughters and embraces us and kisses us and celebrates over us? Well, the answer is found in one little phrase in this morning's text. Ephesians 1.5 again. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Our adoption is possible for the very same reason that our justification is possible. Because Jesus purchased it on the cross. By his death, Christ wrote, canceled over all our old family ties, obligations, and debts. We are adopted into God's household only through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, we owe our adoption to our brother Jesus. Our brother Jesus. 
Hebrews 2.11 says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brother. We have the same father, and so Jesus calls us brother. Can you imagine that? Jesus is the perfect image of God. All we've done is destroy that image. Jesus served his father with joyful obedience. All we've done is rebel against the father's will. Jesus loved his father perfectly. We've spurned that love countless times. And yet Jesus is not ashamed to call us brother because he died to pay the debt for the image that was destroyed and the rebellion that occurred and all the love that was spurned. And he opened the door and he welcomed us into the household of God. Jesus opened the doors into God's household by his death. So the cross is an open door into God's family. And when we stepped through that doorway, which Jesus opened, and we stepped into God's household, into His family, with the status of adopted sons and daughters, all the family privileges became ours. Now, we would need the rest of the day to unpack all the family privileges that are ours by adoption through Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do is go to one text and unpack three privileges. So why don't you turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Now read verses 4 through 7. One text, three privileges. Three family privileges. Galatians 4, 4 4-7, Paul says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now that's just Paul's long way of saying what he says in this morning's text. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Verse 6. And because you are sons, so here come the privileges. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave prodigal, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The first privilege I want to highlight in this text is this. Because we are God's adopted sons and daughters, we now have the Spirit of Jesus in our hearts. Wow. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Now, when I adopted my middle son, Yaroslav, you can guess where he's adopted from. We call him Yari. When we adopted Yari, I I did some things. I did a bunch of things. I I filled out a bunch of paperwork, and I paid a lot of bills. And I got on an airplane and flew to Russia, and I stood before a Russian judge. And Yaroslav Aleksevich Paragon became Yaroslav John Stephen Gamash. And he took on the status of being my adopted son. And I welcomed him into my household with the personality and with the looks and with the health that he received from his biological parents. 
and Yari had some special needs, so I made sure that he got all the surgeries he needed to improve his health. And I, I continue to try to wield an influence on his personality and his temperament. I meet his basic needs. And I love him with the very same love that I have for my other sons and daughters. But God does so much more for us when he adopts us. And there is no human analogy. When God adopts us, He does not merely do surgery and wield an influence. He moves into our hearts. He gives us His Spirit. The Apostle Peter says, 2 Peter 1.4, that God makes us partakers of the divine nature. Let that land on you this morning. If you're God's adopted son or daughter, you partake in the divine nature. That is something I cannot do for Yari. I can give Yari my name. I can bestow sonship on him. I can love him up. But I cannot make him partake of my nature. But God does that for us when he adopts us. He puts the spirit of Jesus in our hearts. And you know what happens? What happens is we begin to take on a family resemblance we begin to look like our brother, Jesus. In our text, Paul says that we're predestined to adoption. In Romans 8.29, Paul says we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Therefore, being predestined to adoption means that we're predestined to take on a family resemblance. We are predestined to be just like our brother, Jesus. And it's a resemblance that's somewhat apparent now and increasingly so. But one day, that resemblance will be complete. Listen to 1 John 3.2. We already read 1 John 3.1. Here's what it said. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Here's the very next verse. Beloved, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He, Jesus, appears, we will be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. At the sight of our brother Jesus, we will become like Him. That's our destiny. That's what we're predestined for. That's what it means to be adopted sons and daughters. I mean, can you imagine a more wonderful promise? And just think about some of the remaining sin you have in your heart that you're aware of, and tell me, can you imagine a more wonderful promise? Can you imagine a greater love than a love that completely transforms us and makes us like Jesus? What Jesus loves... We will love fully. What Jesus enjoys, we will enjoy fully. What Jesus cherishes, we will cherish fully. And so our cups of joy and pleasure will be filled to overflowing for all eternity because we will delight in the Father with maximum intensity just like Jesus delights in the Father with maximum intensity. And as if that weren't enough, it's not all. That's not all. That's not the only thing we share with Jesus. There's a second privilege in this text. 
as God's adopted sons and daughters, we have the privilege of calling God Abba, just like Jesus did. Verse 6 again. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The intimate relationship between the Father and the Son that enables Jesus to call Almighty God Daddy is now shared by Jesus with all of us. God is our Dad. In other words, we can now speak to Him the way Jesus speaks to Him. We now share the same right of access to Him. We can share the same intimacy with Him. And we can have the same assurance that He loves us. Isn't that amazing? The kind of access and intimacy that our children have to us as parents, we now have with the God who created the universe, our Father. One more benefit to mention, and then we're done. As adopted sons and daughters, we are God's heirs. Verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, I want you to listen to the way Paul says the same thing in Romans 8, 16 through 17. He's making the same point, says it a little differently. It says, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, and here's the new phrase, and fellow heirs with Christ. So here's something else we share with Jesus. We're fellow heirs with Him. His inheritance is our inheritance. So let's ask the question, what is our brother Jesus the heir of? Well, the answer is found in Hebrews 1-2. Listen to it. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. Now, let's put all those truths together. Jesus is the heir of all things. We are fellow heirs with Christ. Therefore, we are the heirs of everything. In other words, every mountain, every tree, every beach, every lake, every bird, every creeping thing on this planet is yours, adopted child of God. And not only this planet, but this solar system. I mean, everything in the Bible means everything. You are heirs of the solar system, 7.3 billion miles across. You are the heir of the sun and the moon and Mercury and Venus and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn. And not only this solar system, but you are the heir of the, this galaxy, the Milky Way, with all the 200 billion stars it contains. And not only are you an heir of this galaxy, but you are an heir of the 100 billion galaxies in the universe. You, child of God, are an heir of everything. Ultimately, what that means, I don't know, but it is all ours, a benefit of sonship. Let it take your breath away. Yeah. Romans 8.32 says this, 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He already gave us his son. That was the greatest gift. All things, that's just gravy. Because in the end, what he's going to give us is himself, which is the greatest inheritance of all. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. It is joy to have heaven. It's joy to possess a life now to fit me for heaven. But the greatest of all is to have my God, my own Savior's God, my Father, my own Savior's Father, to be all my own. God Himself has said, I will be their God and they shall be my people. He has not given you earth and heaven only, though that were much. He has given you the heaven of heaven Himself. So that's what the one word adoption means for us. We have a Father who loves us with a love beyond degree. And it's a love that extends compassion to sinful sons and daughters. It's a love of such intense affection that it makes us like the lover himself. It's a love of such intimacy that it allows us to call the God of the universe Daddy. And it's a love of such generosity that it gives us all things, including God himself. In love, he predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we just stand in awe and hardly know how to say thank you for so great a truth. But we say thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to make a way into your household. And thank you for gathering us in and making us your sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that this truth would land on us afresh and that it would change the way we live from this point on. Will you do that, Lord, for your great glory and for the good of your people? In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.